Welcome to Role Models for Change, a series of conversations with social entrepreneurs and other innovators working on the front lines of some of the world's most pressing problems. Shohini Bhattachara is the CEO and President of Breakthrough, a global human rights organization working to drive culture change to build a world where all people live in dignity, equality and respect. Among its many initiatives, Breakthrough reaches nearly half a million adolescents in India through school and community programs, ensuring girls face less discrimination, complete school and delay their age at marriage. James Nardella, former Skoll Foundation principal and current chief program officer for Last Mile Health, sat down with Shohini to talk about the hard work of shifting culture norms of gender-based violence and discrimination. James started the conversation by asking Shohini about her childhood in India. I was born in a middle-class family. My mother was a school teacher, my father one of the first generation, you know, corporate worker. And uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but uh, we had enough, you know. Uh, we didn't really kind of had any major wants, you know, growing up. One of the things that was kind of drummed into my ears as I was growing up that, and this is by my mother, as a woman, I need to be completely self-sufficient. I need to stand on my own feet. So I grew up with this constant learning that as a woman, I have a special role in society. We are two sisters, so my father said he was twice blessed because he had two daughters. As a child growing up in India, you constantly hear things about, oh, you have two daughters, oh, you know, you don't have a son, and you have a daughter who's dark. So all of these things my father and my mother counter, you know, kind of countered in a wonderful way. And so we What was it about them that gave them a different perspective? I think they were educated. I think they had their own beliefs. Um, they had some left leanings at that point of time. So I think those, commun- you know, those, those kind of beliefs in politics also shaped their minds. So they were different. Um, I used to constantly hear, oh, you know, she's a girl and she's, a, she's dark. She's not going to get married, which is a normal, you know, very normal thing in India. And my parents counted that very beautifully. So we were brought up to think on our feet, think for ourselves and start looking after ourselves from a very, very young age. You know, as girls growing up in India, you're constantly faced with discrimination and violence and the catcalls and people, you know, staring at you on streets. While there was all that out there at home, we were very safe. We had a very safe space at home. So I really grew up enjoying that safe space. What brought you to the work that you're doing now and what renews your faith in it? So I grew up to be quite a militant feminist, you know. <laughs> in college, uh, I did plays which were, you know, was on women's rights, was talking about, even at that test time, talking about uh, early marriage and other issues that I'm now, you know, 35 years later working on. Um, so I grew up to be with those kind of thoughts. I did a lot of theater. And for 10 years, I was, you know, I acted in plays on a very ongoing basis. I loved, and I still love theater. And a friend of mine came to me and said, would you be interested in working with women in villages to develop some skits and some, you know, plays and songs on the rights of the girl child? You know, I have, he belonged to an NGO. I said, you know, might as well. And I'm sitting here, I'm waiting to go abroad in September. I might as well do that. So I went to do that. 
three days a week i would take a bus deep into you know west bengal's villages i'll work with the women and for the first time i came to understand what privilege is all about you know i i've had a very privileged upbringing at that point of time when i heard the women talk about the daily struggles the daily violence that they face as young girls and as women it it came home to me that i grew up differently and there is something in me that i should be sharing with this women so in september came i went back to my parents and i said i don't want to go abroad this year i probably will go next year i want to finish my project and work with women in the villages they were a little you know uncertain because you know it is a lot of money that you have spent doing all these you know, applications but they were all right with it so next year i went back to them and said i don't want to go abroad at all i want to work here this is my life this is my work and so that's how i came to you know work those women inspired me and you were telling me about this theater of the oppressed that you do with villages talk me through it Uh, so you know um we work in the villages of very rural uh, areas where we have a theater group going from village to village to perform a play that's based on our baseline it's based on the contextual analysis that we've done on the realities of the village and a particular kind of issue of gender based violence that we are trying to tackle at that point of time for example it could be early marriage of girls in villages So we have this theater group who's prepared this play and uh, they perform this play and at a very critical moment of the play when somebody has to take a decision on something they stop the performance and then they act the they ask the audience to f- provide us to f- for some of them to come up and act that role out and provide us with a solution so we've had district magistrates acting out the role of Chanda a new a young girl who's about to get married and so what decision does she take or we've had a school teacher come up and play the role of chanda saying that i'm going to put my father behind jail for getting me married early or we've had other young girls who've stopped up and said i don't want to get married i want to study or i want to do something with my life so that's how it plays out it makes the issue much more real for people to understand and are you scaling your work through those kind of community participatory theater events uh yes and no they are good for working with communities um we are you know currently working with about half a million adolescents girls and boys uh through a government school uh, system but in the communities we do a lot of this kind of work but we also bring people together in dialogues so you know village based what we call convergence dialogues uh we do a lot of media we show theater we show films uh we've right you know right now we've been doing something called picture time which is this inflatable hall which comes to a village and turns into a you know a five star film watching experience so with dolby surround system and you know it it's like going to any of the big halls and watching something it gets us to a captive audience we uh, can talk about the issues after we show a film of our choice um and it's 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 people are sitting there really thinking through the issues that we are talking to them about we can also segment the um shows we can just get school teachers to come or we can just get parents to come so we are doing all of those things uh, to get to the last mile really if 
India were to become the world you want it to be for girls and women, or society as a whole, what would it look like? If you look at women and girls in India, the number of discriminations and violence they face right from childhood are enormous. Sometimes girls are not allowed to be born or take birth. If they're born, they're given names like Antim, which means enough. Can you imagine a young girl being called Antim? Enough, you know, the family doesn't want any more girls. So it starts with that. Then it goes on to nutrition, where the boys get a better nutrition than the girls. The boys are sent to better schools than the girls. And the moment you hit puberty, girls are taken off school because the parents are concerned about their safety on the way to school. Even if you're allowed to, let's say, continue in school, you're sometimes getting married at 15, 16, 17. And then if you get married and if you have children early, there are this whole cycle of, of violence and there's this whole cycle of domestic violence that young girls who are married early are, are, are facing and, and then they're not at all equipped to deal with that. So a lot of vulnerabilities come through. When women want to join the workforce, there is suspicion from home. You know, moment a woman is stepping out, who are you going with? Who are you seeing? Why are you coming home late? Who are you, you know, what, what makes you, you know, kind of go to work every day? So that's, that's the, another set of things that they have to deal with. And when they earn the money, sometimes the money is not there. An ideal world for us would be to see a complete flip, to see a culture change happen in the broadest possible way, where women are treated as equals. That's all we are asking for, you know, that they are at, you know, there is gender parity at home, in society, in schools, at workplaces, that women do not have to think about violence on the way to work or at the workplace, that women can continue to do and reach their fullest potential the way they want to do it. It's all about choices, about making your own choices and making your own and creating your own opportunities in life. Who are the stakeholders who keep that status quo in place and what are the incentives for them to keep things as they are? It's gender norms. It comes from patriarchy. It's gender norms. It's the way women and men perceive each other in society. And the stakeholders are both women and men, both girls and boys. We believe that if we have to stop or reduce or prevent this kind of situations, we need to talk to men and boys as much as we need to talk to women and girls. So that gender norm is a belief that there's a gender superiority? Yes, that men are superior in every way than women in society. And women have to deal with all of that and do more to kind of rise to the situation where things are at parity. And men and boys need to be kind of told that right from a young age. So when we work with adolescents, both boys and girls at a very young age, we ask boys questions about, would you have shame sharing in the housework that your sister does or your mother does? Would you be willing to have your life partner do a job outside the home? Would you be interested in taking care of your younger siblings? And when the answer is yes, that's, that's when young boys step up and realize that they also have a role to play in this.
there's a reason behind a current status quo. So one thing that you're, you're offering is that the boy child is, is a source of social security for the parents and that's economic. So what are the other incentives that are keeping that status quo in place? It's girls not being able to complete education and compete in the job market. So if you allow girls to complete education, delay of marriage, learn a skill, you know, you are actually empowering family after family to be able to get themselves out of poverty. People are not seeing that because girls do not get to complete education. Girls get married early. Girls cannot find, you know, jobs which are at par with boys. So you have to constantly work on reiterating these beliefs showing the community that this is possible. We work with half a million adolescents and often we see that when we talk to girls about gender and rights and equality, the first thing that they do is notice things around them. You know, we have this wonderful girl in a small little village in UP. She went through a breakthrough training and she woke up and she said, my village is called Kuramau, which means garbage. I cannot have my village called garbage dump. She, she sent a petition saying, I want the name change to Sundanagari, which means beautiful city, beautiful town. She sent this petition to the block administrator. She worked with the head of the village. And the petition is now on the process of Kuramo being transferred into Sundanagari. That is the kind of active citizenship that comes out of young people if you give them a, just a little vision of what is possible. So if you have a group of people start thinking about society, community, village, country, can you see the revolution that it can happen? It will, it's just not meant for a little family out there. It actually meant for the entire village, the entire nation. So what are the programs that they're participating in and what are the benefits that they're receiving? So we have a school-based curriculum called Gang of Stars, which has been evaluated by JPAL. It's a two-year curriculum in school, in government schools, which teaches you about negotiation skills. It teaches you about how to have difficult conversations at home. It uh, builds up agency. And it also helps you recognize gender-based violence in your life and how to kind of take an action on them. Uh, we do this curriculum both in school as well as in community for girls who are dropouts from school. In the school, it's for both boys and girls. So that's, you know, and we've seen that after two and a half years of very intensive uh, delivery of this curriculum, there is significant change in gender-based attitudes as well as behaviors, not only among girls, but also among boys. So that's one of the things that we are doing. The second thing is that we bringing the community together to look at the value of girls in society. So we work with parents, we work with teachers, we work with the influencers in village, bringing them together in a kind of convergence meeting. We do community mobilization to make them understand the value of girls. And there has been numerous occasions when they have taken actions to stop their girls from getting married early or bringing in a change in society. We also have a peer educators program. So girls who are showing leadership qualities, we are, you know, kind of bringing them together as leaders in society so that other, you know, adolescents will have a role model to look up to. But also these young girls and boys will be a kind of link between the government, the school, 
and the community. So we are giving them trainings on how to use social media or even how to sometimes carry on a campaign or how to, you know, understand and find out about government schemes in villages so that they can bring those messages back to their communities. How are you engaging boys and men and, and why? Breakthrough has always believed right from the beginning that if we want to stop gender-based violence or violence against women and girls, we have to talk to boys and men because without them, this thing is not going to happen. So we had, you know, a campaign called Bell Pajawa, Ring the Bell, where we asked men and boys to stop violence, domestic violence, really, by just taking a simple action like Ring the Bell. Men from all over the world wrote to us that we've taken action. You know, sometimes it was like a group of boys would watch television in a neighbor's home in the evening just to stop him from coming home and beating his wife up. Or Sir Patrick Stewart, who talked about domestic violence that he has seen and how he used to place himself between the between his father and his mother to stop that act of violence. So, so imminent men to normal everyday people had taken action on that, so much so that Belbajau actually became a kind of a term for taking action, you know. So we've seen that from Belbajau. And now when we are working very intensively with young boys in schools and colleges, we see their attitudes changing. We see them looking at women in a much more different way, you know. At one point, we had actually this group of girls in a village uh, would, you know, stop going to school because there were a group of boys who were calling them names and catcalling and, and all of those kind of things. We made the two groups sit together and say, look, what you are indulging in is something you think is a pastime. But what is actually doing to the girls is life-threatening. And there was dialogue and the boys said, we never realized. We thought, you know, this was fun and we never thought it was demeaning to the girl or that she was being taken off school and made to sit at home because of me. So until and unless you have those dialogues, how are you going to understand each other's perspectives? And it's important to do that. And also, you know, if you see violence at home, sometimes boys are also part of that violence. You mm. know, that violence, you know, gets out, the woman, the girl, the boy, everybody. And also there are a lot of expectations that are riding on the boys. So if you kind of bring up the girl to a parity, some of the ex those expectations might lessen and boys might be able to lead a much better life, you know. the In India, at least, the boy is expected to earn a living right from the beginning and be the head of the family, take the decisions. So there's enormous pressure on the boys as well. Until and unless you address that, you know, you're never going to get to a system of parity. What is a measured change in attitude and behavior? What do you actually see as a result of an intervention like this? So we have, you know, a kind of 12 steps um, uh, questions on attitude and uh, 18, 18 questions in behavior. So we are looking at things like, would you share your household chores with your sister? Would you look after your youngest sibling? Would you be willing to accompany your sister to school? Would you like your sister to go to the same school as you are? You know, two range of questions like, would you actually um, allow your you know partner to work? Would you be okay having you know her contribute to family income? So the range of those questions, which actually measure a change in attitude as well as behavior. In our programs, we are working for two large outcomes. One is to 
help girls add more years to their education or at least complete secondary education and to delay the age of marriage those are our medium term medium term outcomes a large outcome of course is to see a complete change in gender norms that makes violence against women and girls unacceptable in the long run this work it involves some really young people who have gone through hard things what's the most heartbreaking thing you've seen on the job it's a place when a girl gets to where she has no dreams or aspirations in life where when you ask her what do you want to be she has no answer you know we've reduced our girls to that kind of a state where almost an apathy yeah there's you know she doesn't have anything to look forward to that's the worst thing that you can do to a human being and do you see that frequently we see that very frequently we see that so frequently that you know one of the things that we want to do is really lay out positive defiance you know bring in role models who are actually who have done it you know would want to kind of lay the curriculum with the layer of aspirations and dreams for girls because without dreams and aspirations who are we i imagine you also see violence i didn't want to mention it because it is painful you see violence that is indescribable at all times you see violence which actually is intersectional so if a girl is dalit if a girl is poor if a, you know there is the the violence increases the violence increases with every layer being taken away so in the midst of that i mean you seem like a joyful person you know the the closer you get to this this kind of hardship that the girls face the apathy that you're talking about um you, you talked about your own life experience coming from relative privilege and you've chosen to get proximal to to youth who don't who did not come from that circumstance and i just wonder as you've come to know the world it's beautiful but it's also filled with moments of doubt and darkness and violence and oppression how do you continue to love it still i have my days when i believe that nothing will be possible but when you see small sparks of change when you see the young people when you see the women you know with a little bit of help coming up on their own then you feel then you be- want to believe that change is possible it's going to come it's on its way and that keeps us alive you know stories of young girls in villages who wanted to play a game of tag you know and uh, they didn't have any field allocated to them the fields were taken off by boys playing football and the the head of the village has said no girls are going to go out of my village on game uh, matches because it's not safe for them so these girls went through the two girls went through this training in our you know one of the schools in haryana which is one of the most gender regressive states in the whole country and uh, they said why don't we call the head of the village to school and have a conversation with him so they called him over they sat him down and with the breakthrough facilitators they said we want to play please make it possible for us so after a you know back and forth and a long dialogue the head of the village said okay i will allocate a field near the school for you to play and practice and i myself will go with you to accompany you on all the away matches so the girls go they win tournaments they come back the whole village is celebrating so that's when you believe that this is possible you know you have to be at it but it's possible really to do it and are there enough of those moments there are many of those moments you know as i 
as i see it you know moment to give a little bit of what shall i say a little bit of a, uh, of something to hold on to for the girl and even the boys they are taking action for their entire community mm-hmm. they are actually you are actually building active citizenship breakthroughs made progress in some of the key aims around gender based violence reduction or ch- changing in attitudes and behavior what's not working what what's a rational critique of your work at this point something that you wish you could accomplish but it's been just too difficult it's this whole feeling of sense of impunity that there is about violence against women and girls people who perpetrate it in our country at least think they can get away with it and i cannot really do much about it because the systems are not responding to that that's that's a pain point that's a frustration we want the government to do much more to address violence against women and girls and it's just not being prioritized so so that's that's one of the things that are not working well globally we've had the me too movement raising up uh women's voices so that they can speak out and I would assume that that's doing something on this issue of impunity where people feel at least publicly that they uh that they might be brought under question. There is. How is that affecting the work in in India or you work in the US as well? There is a lot more awareness, there's a lot more willingness from people to listen at least to the stories of not, you know, there is a trend of not believing women, but I think that trend is getting over so we are trying to kind of believe women now much more but more empathy and more deep listening is required for organizations you need to put in place a solid system where you are listening to the voices of survivors you're building your policies by listening to the voices of survivors you are taking into account what women have to say about building those policies you are talking much more about consent you know in in the us also you know we are talking much more about consent i think we need to peel it down so that everybody understands what is consent um there is also a huge huge movement towards deep listening and empathy that i cannot tell you how much that is needed because there is a whole lot of angst there's a whole lot of trauma that women have gone through that needs to be bubbled up so that there is a cleansing process can be can happen so there are people who are doing it there are organizations who are trying to do that we are trying to do that in our own way by building your understanding of what is consent building your understanding of why do you need to make it you know important you're in a unique position because you have worked in both the US and India in the midst of this global inflection around me too how are you seeing that movement expressed differently in both of those contexts in in the us you know heads have rolled so to say you know people have taken action industries have taken action unfortunately in india it's not like that the silence from industries the silence from let's say even the film industry in india is completely deafening it's nobody not a single man of a big stature has you know has been accused because the industry has worked to silence all the voices and the silence from men is very problematic it 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 again makes it a woman's issue you know they're not talking because it's not something we need to be bothered with it's a woman's issue so 
yes there has been a lot of conversations but there has been a lot of inaction as well um in the wake of me too we had many corporate organizations scrambling to be trained on sexual harassment issues at workplace but it's again taken a dip so uh, if you look at the mckinsey's power of parity report for 2017 for india it says that if 69% of indian women join the workforce then by 2025 you would add 700 billion dollars to india's gdp exactly that is what we are talking about and and the report recognizes that if you do not have gender parity at home you're not going to have gender parity at workplace and then there will be the gap where women will fall through the workforce that is what should make you put your dollars in where women and girls are concerned <laughs>